5, 1 through 13, and this week, Lord willing, we're going to try to cover uh, verses 14 through 30. Uh, but today we're going to look at a parable that's about something that I think is really important that a lot of people, I think, don't put enough attention or focus on, and that is embracing God's purpose in our lives. I mean, first and foremost, God's purpose in our lives should be priority one. Now, I know, I mean, sadly, I don't know that I can honestly say that anymore about everybody, but about Christianity as a whole, uh, but it should be our main priority. And Jesus is going to use a parable that you're probably familiar with to teach this, and it's the parable of the talents. How many people have heard of that one? Okay. How many people, when they first heard of that, thought talents like singing, dancing talents? <laughs> okay, just making sure. I want to make sure I wasn't the only one. Okay, but there's, that there's one thing before we start I want to make sure that, that everybody understands, and this is often overlooked, and that is that our lives aren't God's accidents, okay, and they're not God's experiments. Each one of us are made on purpose and for a purpose, and that's why I titled the message that way. Because sometimes I feel like if, you, if you're not a pastor, if you're not in the praise team, you feel like maybe you don't have a purpose, and, and that's so wrong. Everyone has a purpose, and everyone's equally important. We're going to take a look at that. So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. It says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves. Now, we're, we're going to just use servants, because that's what it literally translates to anyway. Uh, who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each, listen to this, according to his own what? ability and he went on his journey okay so this parable begins with a very wealthy man i'll explain how i know he's wealthy here in a little bit but with a very wealthy man who is preparing to leave for a journey and he decides that in his absence he wants to entrust some of his wealth to just three of his servants okay just three of them and so he assigns a specific amount each according to their own ability because no one would know them better than him he knows how well they work he knows how well they serve he knows what they're capable of, so he assigns them to them according to their ability. Now, how many people know what a talent really is? Anybody? A talent was actually a unit of weight, measuring weight back then. It was for 70 pounds is what it was for. Okay, now, its value was assigned to it according to what we're talking about the weight is. For instance, if it's gold or silver, a talent of gold and a talent of silver are generally what you see in the Bible. That's the most commonly used form of talent in the Bible. So, obviously, a talent of gold, 70 pounds of gold, would be more valuable than 70 pounds of silver. But I wouldn't complain if you want to give me 70 pounds of silver. I'm just saying, that's a lot, right? Now, we know by the word money in verse 18, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, that these talents we're talking about today were silver. Because, ironically, in the, in the Greek, the word for money literally means it's a gurion, and it literally means silver. So when he talks about investing the money in verse 18, he tells us that this was silver. Okay, now that being said, at that time, to have a talent of silver or a talent of gold meant that you were very, very, very wealthy. Okay, because a talent of silver, get this, was worth, it's been estimated to be worth 20 years worth of wages at that time. 20 years, and this guy gives away a ton of them here to his servants to invest for him. Okay, so this guy would have been the equivalent of a multimillionaire in our time. This guy was very, very, very wealthy, right? And so he takes these servants and he says he's going to give them a portion. Each is going to get so many talents, and he wants them to manage those things that they were given, manage these finances, right? Now, this is a huge chance for them to prove themselves, okay? I mean, when you're, if you're just getting one talent, 
you're getting 20 years worth of wages, okay? It's not like he walked up and said, hey, go invest this 20 bucks for me. Go buy me some lottery tickets. We're not talking about that. We're talking the least of these servants got 20 years worth of wages. So this is a big opportunity for them to show that they're worthy, right? Now, another thing we've got to remember before we move forward is that last week and this week, Jesus is still answering those questions that the disciples asked him back in 24. And they asked him, when are you coming? They wanted to know the exact time. And he told them, I can't tell you that. Only the Father in heaven knows that. I can't tell you that. And they said, well, what are some of the signs of his coming? And he gave them the signs. But how he's answering those questions this week is instead of, he's basically saying, instead of focusing on what the exact date that I'm coming back is, here's what I want you to focus on. Let's focus on what you should be doing while you're waiting for me to come back. So he kind of shifted it from don't worry so much about when, worry more about being ready to stand before God when he comes back, being able to be called a good servant when he comes back, right? So that's, that's just kind of give you some background as to why he's answering these questions, right? So it's really, really important. See, God today still gives us two choices, and I like to narrow things down to, to just black and white, okay, two choices. Those of you that know me know I'm pretty straightforward. I don't have a great filter or any filter at all, you know, I'm just going to tell you, it comes down to two choices in life with regards to our purpose, okay? You're either going to embrace your purpose or you're going to disgrace your purpose. That's pretty much what it comes down to. You're going to embrace your purpose or you're going to disgrace your purpose, okay? And so he's giving them a chance to embrace their purpose. Now, notice that the opportunities they were given to embrace their purpose was based on their individual abilities. He knew what they were capable of. Okay, and this is really fair of him because he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to find your purpose and I won't give you an opportunity that you can't accomplish. I know what you're capable of. So the opportunity I'm giving you is something you are capable of doing and capable of being successful at. So this actually is a pretty good master here. Okay, now there's a lot of people and there's a lot of different ways people teach this and they make it, some of them make it sound like he's this harsh taskmaster, and that's just, that's not the case. He knew what they were capable of, and he said, I'm giving this to you according to what you're capable of because I want you to succeed. I want you to find your purpose in this household. Okay, now when you start to look at this parable, already it starts to become clear what Jesus is trying to teach them, right? If you take into account everything we've learned already, it's starting to become clear that the, the master that's going away here, who would that represent? It's Jesus, all right? He's trying to draw a picture. Remember, he's answering the question about when are you coming back, right? And what are the signs? And he shifted that to what should you be doing? What should you be doing when I come back? All right, so we know that, that in this illustration, Jesus would be the master. Now, the master's journey here would represent when Jesus ascended to heaven. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he'd been seen by all the disciples and over 500 at one time. He ascends to heaven. Remember when he says, as he's getting ready to leave, he says, he gives the great commission, you know, go out into all the nations, teaching them, you know, to obey all my commandments and I'll be with you. This is, when he's going away, that's what this represents. Because like the wealthy man, Jesus said, before he ascended, he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. Okay, you see that, see how that goes side by side? John 14, 2, Jesus said, in my father's house are many dwelling places, if it were not so... I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
right? So you see how he's already drawing these lines to compare what's going to happen with him with what's happening in this parable. Remember, a parable is just an earthly story that explains a heavenly principle. Okay, that's all it is. So he's trying to make what's going to happen with his return relatable to them by using this story. Okay, so just wanted to get you on board there. Now, likewise, God gives every believer an opportunity to serve. And he always gives us our opportunities according to our abilities. One thing that drives me crazy as a pastor is when I talk to people and I say, so what do you think God's calling you to do? And I'm not joking. I've literally had people say, I just don't think he's calling me to do anything. I'm, I'm, listen, there is no gift called the gift of laziness. It doesn't exist. Okay, but some people think it does. You know, well, I, you know, there's so many reasons I don't. And they give me all these excuses. But here, God made us all on purpose for a purpose. Everyone. He wants us to all be successful in finding our purpose, right? So every one of us has the ability. He knows what you're capable of. Hey, he may not be calling you to be a pastor. He may not be calling you to be on the praise team. Listen, early on when I became a believer, uh, you know, I played guitar back then. I don't now because there's too many good ones here. But when we first started, I played guitar. And, and I remember thinking to myself, one thing is obvious to me. My talent is not singing, right? I am awful right and i could get up and prove that to you but i want you to come back i'm really bad because if i was good i'd be arrogant as heck about it i'm not gonna lie i'd sing at the drive through i would but i knew right away that wasn't my talent here's another thing i knew wasn't my talent i knew right away this wasn't my talent teaching nursery age children is not my talent god bless their hearts if i taught them you may not get them back you know what i mean that's not my age group Listen, if you want to know what your purpose is, what God has left here for you to do, start with what you're good at. Okay, I'm not good at singing. God's not going to put me up there. I had a guy tell me one time, I'd heard him sing, and it was, there's no real Christian way to say this, it was terrible. I'm not kidding you. When I first heard the guy sing, I I shouldn't even share this. I don't know why I'm sharing this, because I have no filter. That's why. I wanted to leave. Isn't that awful? It sounded like someone put a cat in a dryer and turned it on. It was bad. You know, and he said, it doesn't matter if you're good or not. It's about making a joyful noise to the Lord. And I'm like, that's not joyful. Right? So if you want to know, start with what you're good at. I, I, was, I love the word of God. That became apparent to me. I love to share it with people. And it became apparent to me that somewhere and along those lines was going to be what God had for me, a purpose for me. And that's where I started. So it's really important that you take that from this. You do have a purpose and you need to find it. Let's move on. Uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 16. It says, Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. When I first read that, I thought, big deal. Yeah, he got five more talents. Until you realize, that's a hundred years wages that he just turned into 200 years wages. That's a big deal, right? Verse 17, In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. So he went from 200 years salary to 400 years salary, right? He doubled it, right? But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So let's take a look at this, all right? He leaves them with this amazing opportunity to find and embrace their purpose. He's like, I know you can do this. I know, have you ever done that with your kids? where you give them something to do and you know they can do it. You want to be able to praise them for something. Maybe you got that kid that's having the rough time. You know, things are going kind of bad. So you give them something to do when they're little that you know they can do 
and you just want to praise them for it, you know what I mean, to build them up. This is kind of what's happening. He gave them something he knew they could do according to their abilities, and he nailed it on the one with five bags because that guy goes out and doubles it, right? He nailed it on the guy with two bags because that guy goes out and doubles his, right? But the one who only had one bag, which is still 20 years' salary, okay? It's not like nothing, 20 years' salary. He just buries the money in the ground and doesn't gain anything for his master. He didn't even try. Didn't even try. As we're going to see, he felt like this was playing it safe. So he buries the whole bag of silver, right? Now, this section represents what we do with the opportunities we're given. Okay, I'll bring this passage up again, but here's a passage I wish everyone would commit to memory. 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a what? A gift. Now, listen, there's no other way to teach that. You have one. You may not know what it is. You may not have embraced it yet, but you have a gift. Okay, God has given each one of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. What's it say? Use them well. Use them well. It doesn't say, you know what, if somebody else is doing the same thing you do, let them do it. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, well, when your you know, life is slowed down a little bit before you do it then. It doesn't say that. It says, use them well to serve one another. Right? So, you know, some believers recognize that, and they realize how important it is that they get busy, and they start looking for their purpose. They find it because God's not hiding it. Have you ever felt like everything God does is like this puzzle, and he's, that's the way I was taught growing up. Like, you had to try to figure him out, and it was like playing clue with him, you know? And hopefully you'd figure it out, and, you know, and you'd win. But that's not the way it is. He wants you to find your purpose. And the people that get that will find it quickly, they take that opportunity, and they get busy, and God blesses them. That would be the one who took five bags and the one who took two bags. But then there are those other people who let fear and doubt and distraction and lack of faith, all those things, hinder them from becoming what God knows they could be, right? And that third servant represents those who lack the faith and drive to actually serve. Now, let's be honest before we start judging that person. Have you ever been that third servant in one area or another? And I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But let me give you an idea here. Like, something comes to your mind that you want to do. Like, there's a ministry that pops into your mind. Right? And as soon as you start thinking about it and planning it and getting excited about it, the enemy starts whispering in your ear. Don't do that. That is so dumb. Nobody's going to like that. That's going to fall flat on its face. Everybody's going to think you're an idiot. Don't do that. And slowly you let him talk you out of doing what God had put on your heart. Here's an indicator I want you to remember when that happens to you. God never dissuades his people from trying to do something good. That voice is never going to be God. If you want to do something good, even if he knows that's really not your thing, he's not going to punish you for making an attempt to do something good. He's not going to do that. Right? And God never punishes people for trying to do something good and failing. He never punishes people for that. Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not lose heart in what? In doing. Thank you, one person. Was it up there? Okay, I don't want to force you guys to do this, but let us not lose heart in. There we go. Doing good. Right? And that's what happens when something comes to you and you let the enemy talk you out of it. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. That means if we don't give up, if we don't allow the enemy to talk us out of it, right? 
Okay, let's move on. Matthew 25, 19. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, so the day comes when he shows up. The day comes when he returns, right? And this is kind of parallel to the day that Jesus returns. But the day comes that the master returns. And so the one who had the five talents and doubled it, brings it up and says, listen, I doubled what you gave me. And so what's, what's the master do? He praises him and he promotes him. He says, now that you've proven you're willing to work, now that you've proven you will work up to your capability, I'm going to put you in charge of more. He got a promotion, right? Let's look at what happened with the second one, Matthew 25, starting in verse 22. It says, also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, so did you notice that he responded to them the exact same way? He said, Great, you had two, you doubled it. Just like the guy who had five, he doubled it. And because of that, he praised and he promoted him also. He said, you've proven yourself, right? You're dedicated, so now I'm going to let you have a larger portion of my estate. Enter into the joy of your master. He rewarded him. Why do you think he responded the same way? Because look, we're talking one person turned 20 years wages, or I'm sorry, 40, 40 years wages, doubled it. Another person did way more than that. Why would he praise him the exact same? Because... The reason he did that is because it wasn't about the amount. I, I'll be honest with you. If he had that much money to leave with him, he probably had tons more. It probably wasn't as big a deal to him as it was to everybody else. He wanted them to find their purpose. He wanted to give them a path to promotion. That's what he wanted to do, right? It wasn't about the amount. It was about the productivity. That's what pleased him was their desire to get busy and to bless that house, right? Now, one may have produced less, but his rate of return was the exact same, 100%. He brought, he doubled what he had, and he blessed that. Always remember, God blesses you according to your heart. He knows what you mean to do. He blesses you according to your heart and according to your effort. That's what he blesses you for. Listen, if, if God tells you to start a church and his goal for you, he knows you could start a church of 50, then you hit 50, you are going to be just as blessed as the guy who could reach 20,000 and gets 20,000. You both did everything he knew you could do. You gave him everything you had, and he blesses it just the same. Okay, now, those two are blessed. Here comes the third one, okay? Matthew twenty-five, twenty-four, And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, I wonder how long of a walk that was. Can you imagine being there and seeing this guy bring in 10 talents. We're talking 70 pounds times 10 of silver. It's not like he walked up with it in his hand. He probably had a wagon that goes thud, drops it off the horse and goes, here you go. And then another guy comes up with 70 pounds of silver times four and drops it. And he's standing here with nothing. Nothing in his hands. Imagine how long this walk had to be, right? And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Not a good way to start the conversation. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow 
and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was what? And I was afraid, right? And went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Okay, so this last servant literally wasted his opportunity to find his purpose. Just wasted it, completely wasted it. Now, why? It's really simple. Remember what we were talking about earlier? There are three things that a believer should never allow to have any control in your lives. Three things. Number one is fear. Right? We should not allow fear to overtake our lives. We are children of the king. We are watched out for by the creator of the universe. Fear should not control our lives. It's normal to have onsets of fear and to have bouts of fear, but to let it control your life shouldn't be there. The second thing is doubt. Listen, when you doubt God, it's saying you don't believe he's able to do what he said he could do. Right? That's, when you think about it like that, that's, a, that's kind of a big slap in the face. Right? And the third thing we never want to allow to take control of our life is distraction. Okay, we have got to stay focused. We're left here for a reason. We're here on purpose for a purpose. Now, this servant allowed all three of those things, this last servant allowed all three of those to affect how he served, all three of them. And to make matters worse, he, he did something here that kind of shocked me. He kind of blamed the master for it. Did you notice that? He kind of blamed him for it. He basically said, you know, I know you're a really powerful guy, and I know you have connections, and I, I you know, you're just so powerful. I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to make you angry. So I just buried it. I just buried it. He kind of says, I did this because I was afraid of you. If you weren't so scary, you know, <laughs> let me ask you something. Have you ever blamed God for something? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever blamed God for something? When you start, when the Holy Spirit starts convicting you of something you've done wrong, or something you should have done and didn't do? Do you ever say, well, I mean, if you would have allowed, you know, and we, we do the same thing. We really do. He starts blaming God for his missed opportunity. Right? He's, in this case, he's blaming his master. He said, you know, because you're so scary, I didn't do it. I played it safe. So let's see how that worked out for him. Okay, Matthew 25, starting in verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. Okay, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Okay, this kills me. He didn't even think to just put it in a savings account? He didn't even think about that? What did he think, the market was going to crash? He didn't even put it in a savings account, and what he doesn't realize is he actually cost his master money because had his master known he was going to be a doofus and not do anything he wouldn't have given him the money and would have just put it in the bank himself and you know he would have got whatever they pay like 0.08 percent on on a savings account something like that right you know hey you put twenty thousand in for 10 years here's your 90 cents but whatever he would have got the 90 cents he would have got something back he actually cost him money now these verses represent how every believer is going to answer for their actions. Sometimes believers, I think we forget that. I really do. Sometimes you come to church and you hear us talk about how you're eternally secure, and you are. You will have eternal life no matter what. 
I promise you that. That's on the authority of the Word of God. Sometimes we rest on that a little too much. We say, well, you know, at least I'm still going to heaven. Right? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all stand before Christ to be what? To be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The fact that we're redeemed doesn't negate the fact that we still have to give an account for what we've done. Now, we're going to be judged. We're not going to be judged according to heaven and hell. We're going to be judged according to whether we can receive the reward of serving in the kingdom. We're judged here. When you're not doing what God asks you to do, his judgment befalls us. And we, Anybody ever been in that spiritual woodshed that I've talked about a million times when you know you're not where you should be with God, you're not doing what he wants you to do, and everything just starts going wrong? You ever been there? That's judgment. Listen, not all judgment ended in hell or heaven. This is how he judges believers. Right? Again, Peter encouraged believers to employ their abilities so they wouldn't have to be judged. Look at that again, 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you what? A gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. What? Use them well to serve one another. He's saying whatever your gift is, use it. Because if you don't use it, you'll have to stand account for your laziness. What did the master call him? Wicked and lazy. Because, I mean, honestly... If you had to look into the face of your crucified Savior, what excuse would you give him for not trying to serve him? You know, that's why he came back. Hey, that's, that's why God is not going to feel a bit bad about judging us, because what excuse can we really give him? You know, what excuse do we really have? You know, I wanted to watch the rest of season 10, Survivor, or whatever it is. What do you do that keeps you so important and so busy that you can't serve God? I just don't, I don't understand that. And I think a lot of it is, and maybe... Maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of it is, is we look at different gifts as more valuable than other gifts. And that drives me crazy. Some people think because I'm a pastor, my gift is more valuable. It is not. Some people think whether you're a deacon or whether you're, a, you know, you're on the praise team or you serve in some committee, that makes your purpose more important. But it really isn't. It's not that way. That's not how God sees it. There's nothing more important in his eyes. Here's the deal. He gives you an opportunity to find your purpose and embrace it, and he will judge you on the fact of whether you embraced it or not. Listen, I would have no one to preach to if my congregation of believers didn't go out and live the life and share it with other people. There would be empty seats to hear my gift. This, the musicians would sing to no one if every time people came here it was nasty and dirty and they decided they didn't want to come back. How important are the cleaners now? And nobody would want to come. If, can you imagine if every child that's in that nursery is out here right now? How many people want to go to church with that? Let's be honest. Now you're going, oh, Pastor Chris, that's terrible. You big liar. You know you think it too. You ever been in a church where kids are running around and yelling? Anybody ever been in that church? Yeah, that's terrible. That's a church I want to run from. Now how important are those nursery workers? You see, I mean, every job is equally important. And none more important than living what you profess so that people will want to know what, what has changed in you and pursue it. I think sometimes we think our gifts aren't as important but here's the thing you have to remember. Here on earth, we make everything a competition. Have you notice that? Can you believe those competitive people? <laughs> okay, I'm competitive. I am competitive. But it's not a competition. It's not a competition. Listen, our gifts aren't given to us so we can have bragging rights. Bragging rights in the Christian faith is called self-righteousness. Not good. Right? That's what makes us think one person is more important than another in their gifting. Because 
we see one is bigger than the other. They win, I lose, they're better. That's not how God sees it. He sees it like the master in this story saw it. I know what you're capable of. Accomplish that, and you'll be just as blessed as the one who was given way more. Accomplish the purpose you were created for because you were created on purpose, what? For a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God using your own unique God-given abilities. Something that he wanted you personally to do. Listen, when I first started this softball ministry, I got talked about like crazy. People judged me like crazy. And I remember it came to my mind and the devil whispered in my ear, people are going to think you're nuts. You know what I mean? They're just going to think you love sports and you're trying to find a way to make it a ministry. You know, I took all kinds of flack for starting that ministry, but I just believed from coaching that the greatest way to reach people is through their children. And the greatest way to change the future of this country, of this nation, of this world, is to change the next generation's hearts before someone else has time to come in and wreck them. You see what I mean? That was my purpose. God knew that that was what he wanted me to do outside of this church. And so, you know what? Yeah, it was different. Did it sound as important as starting a ministry that feeds millions of people? No, it didn't sound that important compared to that. But when compared to the lives of people who have heard about Jesus who may never would have and have trusted him and come to Christ, when you talk about those people, I bet it's really important to them. We just got to understand what it is and be fearless about it. Realize it doesn't matter. Your gift is all you're responsible for. And if you give it 100%, God will bless you. So let's look at the consequences. It says, therefore, this is the master speaking, therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. This is the one who started with five and doubled it. Uh, For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Anybody struggle with that when they first read it? That's a tough one, isn't it? When you, I'll explain that in a second. It says, throw out the, worthless ser- the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, the tough part here. It says, for to everyone who has, more shall be given. Now, in our minds, we automatically think, why would God give rich people more? Don't we? That's honestly what we think, right? And, and he will have an abundance, but the one who does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away. What were we talking about today? The opportunity to embrace our... Our purpose, our talents, our abilities, we were, that's what the whole message is about here, right? So when he says to everyone who has, he's talking about the people who have identified their purpose and are relentlessly pursuing it. And he's saying, listen, to them, they, they can handle more. But to the person who refuses to identify or embrace their purpose, see, God doesn't need us to accomplish his will. He offers us the opportunity to be a part of accomplishing his will so that he can bless us. You see what I mean? He doesn't have to have us. I've heard people say, if you don't live the right life, someone may go to hell because they didn't get to see your testimony. That is a lie. God will never leave the eternal destiny of someone else in your hands. Ever. Okay? If you don't want to do it, it's not like he's going to go, well, I wanted you to go to heaven, but you know, Kevin, they don't want to do it, so I guess it's hell for you. That's not what he means. You know, hey, you can't blame me for going to hell. He didn't live in front of you, Kevin. Sorry, you're going to be, you know, kindling. I don't know what to say. That is not how God works. He says, listen, 
You're not going to live the life to reach Kevin? Then I will find somebody else. I know the kind of person that can have an effect on him. I'll find somebody else. I will take from you and give it to the one who will, who has proven they will, and who I can trust to do this. That's what he's talking about. It's that simple. This is talking about finding our purpose and embracing that purpose. He took it away from him and gave it to the other one. Right now, here's the thing. People think it goes off the rails here where it says throw this person into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, this is where it kind of goes off the rails. Right, because people automatically, what do they think when they hear that? They think hell. And I've talked about this many, many times over the past few weeks as every time we've seen this, right? Every time you read outer darkness or weeping and gnashing of teeth, it doesn't always mean hell. It doesn't always mean hell. And the Hebrew would understand this because to the Hebrew, this refers to a place of regret and sorrow. Have you ever read in the Bible when they were upset about something, they would weep and gnash their teeth? They did that when they... When they killed Stephen, they were gnashing their teeth in anger. This doesn't always mean hell. It means that you're in a place of regret or sorrow, a place of despair. That's what it means, right? And, and in this context, remember, context determines meaning. And the context here is the opportunity for a blessing, right? So here it simply means removed from the possibility of a blessing. Now, why would that be such a powerful example to the disciples? Why would that be so powerful? Because the disciples were Jews. They were Hebrews, whatever you want to say. Right? And their number one thing that they wanted, the biggest blessing they could imagine, the thing that they wanted in, uh, more than anything in the world was to be able to serve in the Messianic kingdom with Christ. That's the biggest and best thing you could have. That was the pinnacle of reward in their faith. Right? So when they heard... That the person who would not embrace their purpose would, be, would lose the opportunity, would be put away in outer darkness. What do you think they were thinking about? What do you think they were thinking about? Losing the opportunity to serve in that messianic kingdom. That's how the disciples would have, they immediately would have thought, gosh, what blessing would I miss out on that would make me in sorrow and despair like outer darkness? Gosh, the ability to reign in the messianic kingdom. This is what they would have immediately thought about when this came up, right? And so it made it a very, very powerful illustration. Through this, he explained to everybody, listen, you're going to have regrets as believers if you don't find your purpose and embrace it because you were made on purpose for a purpose, Right? That's why you're here. Listen, God didn't design us to become believers and sit on the couch staring out the window like a kid looking for the bus in the morning. That's not how he designed us. He designed us to find our purpose and embrace it and use that purpose to glorify him. That's, that's why he leaves us here, right? If it wasn't for that, it'd be cruel to leave us here. He leaves us here because he has a purpose for us. He wants something good. He wants to bless our lives, right? And sometimes I think we forget that. So listen, I mean, let me leave you with one parting thought. I know this a lot to throw at you, but before I close, I want you to think of one thing. Okay, you have two choices as believers. We talked about them earlier. I'm going to give them to you a little differently this time. You can either embrace your purpose or waste your purpose. You know, I, when I think about the Bema seat, which I'm not going to go too heavily into that, that's where Christians are judged, 
The judgment seat of Christ is another name for that, the judgment seat of Christ. That's where Christians are going to be judged. I wonder what it would be like when you have perfect understanding and know what God really did for you. I mean, you know now, but not like you're going to know then. I wonder what it would be like to look at Jesus Christ, the one who died on that cross. Remember, you have perfect understanding and have absolutely nothing, nothing to offer him. Because, I, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I believe that all the opportunities we miss may just scroll in front of us. You know what I mean? You know when he talks about wiping every tear out of their eye? I wonder what they're crying about. You ever think about that? Maybe thinking of the missed opportunities, the things they could have experienced had they just sought out their purpose and embraced it, realized they were made on purpose for a purpose. How much different could their lives have been? So I just want you to understand something. Listen, if you don't know your purpose, please don't just forget about it and bury it and say, oh, well, I'm going to heaven anyway. You see how that worked out for this guy, right? Find it. Find that purpose. That's why you're here, right? There's people you can reach. There's things for you to do that are going to glorify God. But missing out on those blessings will be a big deal. He wants his people actively embracing every opportunity he put them there for so they would know their purpose. I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask you, would to please bow your heads? If this is your first time, we always give an invitation. And I don't do invitations like a lot of people do. I don't want you to come up front. I don't, none of that. I just want the opportunity to pray for you. Because sometimes the word of God permeates your heart in a way that's undeniable. And you know that God is speaking just to you. And if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, listen, let me tell you what God's first purpose is for you to become one of his, to trust his son for your eternal life. If you'd like me to pray for you, or you're not sure where you stand, just make eye contact with me, put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. God knows your heart, and he will continue to pursue you because he loves you that much. And listen, believers, you may think, you may have been told that you don't have any special purpose but you do. You were made on purpose, for a purpose, and your community, your family is missing out if you're not finding and embracing it. So I'm going to pray for you too. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and your kindness. I thank you most of all, Lord, for your grace. None of us deserve this. You sent your son to die on our behalf because you knew we couldn't. You knew we would never be good enough. We could never sacrifice enough. We could never do enough good things. So you loved us so much that you sent your son to pay our sin debt in full so that all we'd have to do is believe that what he did was enough so that we could have it. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, I just pray that they remove all the doubt and all the fear and just trust in Jesus. Trust that what he did was enough to guarantee their eternal life. And we know according to your word, they will have it. If they make that decision, I pray they contact us or someone, a good Christian organization or person they know. But Lord, for those of us who already know you, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to rest in the promise of eternal life and just stop looking for that purpose. Lord, bless the pursuit of that purpose to be the most powerful thing in their heart from here out until they find it. 
Lord, bless them to eagerly search for what you've put them here to do. Because we know that you will be glorified even more when they find it and when they embrace it. Let us be the kind of people that our words and actions honor and glorify you in everything. We just pray, God, that you would go with us as we leave here, keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together excited to give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>